The galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adherent of the Mechanicum, or a brave mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find a home here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. That's the word I'm looking for. Sisyphus died like a bitch. Yes. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's true. He died to Abaddon, too, who's pretty much the most incompetent person in the setting. I mean, short of Erebus. That's pretty no, bad. no, no. Erebus started a galaxy-wide civil war. Thank you. What's Abaddon done? Took him 10,000 years to blow up a planet. <laughs> I mean, Fair. Abaddon did wait until Sigismund was, like, old. Yeah. I mean, Just as far as... Wait not that, until the gray hairs start showing up, then you pounce. I mean, That's how you do not it. That, not that being old really matters much when you're a space marine, because Dante's over a thousand, and he's still kicking ass. Point. Yeah. And with that, hello, Get everyone, and welcome out. to the Remembrancer's Retreat. I'm Jesse, and we're joined by a large group today. We got Austin, Dave, Jared, Jason, and Steven. What's up, guys? Yo. All right. So what do you want to knock out first today? So much stuff. I guess we could start with uh, what we've been up to. And with a large group, we'll try to keep it along moving smoothly. Let's, uh, let's start with our friend Austin. Austin, what have you been up to this week? Uh, let's see. I, I did just finish, uh, for Nova. Well, one of the zone mortalis uh, stratagems you can get is a half dozen or so, uh, regular mortals running around. Uh, so if you're on that Facebook page, you can see, uh, I made the models quite a while ago and used this as an excuse to paint them up, uh, conversion for some subterranean warfare dudes, uh, which should be cool. And then I have also started on, uh, what'll probably be my last infantry squad for my survivors of the Dark Age militia. Very cool. Any games in? Uh, against Jared, uh, Centurion game, My Space Wolves against his Imperial Fists. Uh, I won by one, uh, and there were two Space Wolf survivors, so just how I like it, nice and bloody. Death Sworn, greater than Sword Brethren. Jared. <laughs> what do you got Little to say, turds. Jared? <laughs> right, we both took incredibly dick kicker lists. I brought Sigismund and Tylos Rubio and 20 Templars. He brought 20 Death Sworn. It was just not all really the role. Yeah, there were next to no vehicles. Um, by the end of the game, he had a Javelin Speeder, a Phallic Squirter Squad, and a Chaplain left on the board. And that was it. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, it, uh, it came down to. 20 Gray Slayers and Harl Redblade, uh, which is the Space Wolf Praetor special character, and 10 Death Sworn and a Priest of Fenris up against uh, Siggy's Sword Brethren and uh, Rubio and Death Sworn, man. Death Sworn will ruin your day if you don't have a ton of AP2. Yep, gotta watch out for those guys. So, Sigismund's in combat with these guys. And they had already killed all of the Gray Slayers and the, the the Praetor, whatever his name was, and left. And he wouldn't accept Sigismund's challenge. What a coward. Mm. Look, so Space Wolves, despite their general, you know, all, all brawn, no brains sort of reputation, 
are known for being super good. I think the phrase from the book is peerless combat intelligence. And I knew that Siggy, in a challenge, all of his wounds, which not only are AP2, become instant death with his fancy Paragon Blade. If I'm not in the challenge with him, they're just, you know, AP2, and that's not the end of the world. Uh, so, yeah, my, my priest was like, nope, I'm just going to get Theo No Pain for a couple of rounds uh, and let the Death Sworn chew through all the bodyguard. Uh, thundered hammered Rubio into the dirt. Uh, and then Sissy Wind had to make seven invul saves to live. Uh, needed to make four out of seven and made three out of seven and died. And that was glorious. It hurt. Hmm. Probably so 50 yeah. models in that combat, and there were two guys left at the end. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Death Sworn don't play games. I mean, they're in a game, right? But they're not playing games. <laughs> Work. I got to give it to him. He rolled a. Uh, and. Uh, four warning? The one that gives uh, a four up invul uh, save? Mm. I kept. Templars with forewarning. I mean, you're basically all the best parts of Terminator armor without any of the limitations. True. Went to attack squad, and they stayed in combat with a squad. I mean, they, they did great. Seriously, I think he got like seven different squads. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. I I mean, I didn't bring any anti psycho shenanigans, and he was just like, "Hey, all these guys are gonna have four up in bowls uh, and preferred enemy." So good luck with that. <laughs> Judging from what we know about fighting Austin, is that um, bringing one or two psychers doesn't work. We obviously need more. <laughs> if only we had a whole legion of them. Hmm. Uh, my wolves have yet to lose a game against Thousand Sons. Yet. I mean, I haven't played Jason's Thousand Sons, uh, so there is that. Don't worry, that day is coming. <laughs> Well, in that case, let's roll into what Jason's been up to. Guys, how's it going? Uh, let's see. After that uh, whole doubles tournament in Maryland, I've been taking it a little easy. Uh, been a little lazy, not going to lie, on the hobby front. I'm just finishing up my very first Thousand Suns Javelin Landspeeder. Been uh, talked about it a couple episodes ago. I'm using those little uh, Tempest Landspeeders from Forge World. They're a pretty old kit. They've got like a pretty uh, neat little armored canopy on them, but I'm a big fan so far. They're a lot quicker to paint than the standard javelin speeders, but uh, they look pretty cool. A big fan, just finishing up my first one now, and that's more or less all the hobby that's happened since last weekend. <coughs> I did, however, get in a, a pretty good game with Steven uh, yesterday with uh, his word bearers, Dark Brethren, uh, against 2,000 points of my Mechanicum and Thousand Suns. We're playing a Centurion game, uh, modified just a little bit. We've actually been using a pretty interesting system for that. Uh, instead of just... We've noticed that that 0 to 1 choice for stuff like, you know, bikes, artillery, monsters, creatures, can kind of get abused a little bit. So we've started looking at a 25% capacity capacity, uh, points cost capacity for that. Sort of similar to Lord of War in normal games. So uh, that puts an interesting spin on it and makes sure that focus still stays on infantry, speeders, and dreadnoughts. 
Gotcha. But, uh, so that's um, well. so that twenty five points. That still discounts. There's no vehicles allowed or anything. That's just regarding the speeders, rapiers, and dreadnoughts, right? Uh, speeders, dreadnoughts, and infantry are completely un. Uh, let's see, unrestricted is the word oh, I'm gotcha. looking for. Excuse me, like the um, the rapiers, the uh, leviathans, and whatnot. Yeah, so those are the twenty five percent. Creatures, uh, bikes, jet bikes, things like that that are normally a zero to one choice in the stock centurion rules. Mm-hmm. You got a twenty five percent point cap on those, just like you would a uh, Lord of War in the normal game. So gotcha. are you ta- Jason, are you talking about the Lord of Battle rule that I put in? Yeah, that's the one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so to elaborate what Jason's saying is, yeah, it's just rather than being like, you can only take one monstrous creature unit, and then somebody brings like five uh, uh, Thanatars, you know? Um, it's a 25% of your total Centurion list, which is a, instead of Lord of War, we call it a Lord of Battle, because it's a smaller... Tinier yeah. game, yeah, uh, <laughs> a middle management of conflict, and uh, we've also put into where like bike units, you can take one bike unit, um, but that doesn't mean that you can only take like a character on a bike. You can also take like an outlander or outrider squad, and then you can take a character on a bike and an apothecary on a bike, and together that makes one unit. Okay, gotcha. But I'm assuming they all start together. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so like a combined unit still counts as one unit? Yes, sir. Okay, gotcha. All right, well, Stephen, what have you been up to? Uh, mostly the same. Um, hoarding plastic bits uh, as if it's as if my life depends on it, and painting Night Lords in that order. In fact, uh, even as we speak, I am painting my Night Lords chaplain, uh, which is going to be pretty fun. Um, but Jason, like he or like Jason said, we we did the Centurion game. Uh, we did War of Lies. Uh, he brought his Mechanicum and Thousand Sons. I brought Wordbearers and Demons, and we played against our better judgment on a snow table, which is well known to be cursed for Jason and I. <laughs> and uh, there were indeed shenanigans, such as Erebus periling every single time he tried to cast a power. Yeah, I think uh, Erebus actually did more wounds to himself than I did to him. Yeah, uh, I feel Erebus that happened did. not too long ago. Again, didn't that happen, Erebus? Did last, <laughs> a few weeks ago? Uh, I, I don't know. The only time maybe I, I have some deja vu because I feel like Jason said this exact thing like three weeks ago. Erebus did I, more uh, damage to himself, or X unit did amount more damage to himself than I did. I uh, I've only used Erebus I think twice in the entire time I've been playing. Maybe I, I don't. I can remember using him once against Rob, and I remember him being used uh, over the weekend. But that's about it. Um, you might be thinking of uh, Stephen and I's last game of our best of three series, where his Praetor did indeed put ah. two wounds on himself. Yes. Yeah. That must be it. Thanks for that reminder. <laughs> it was really, uh, if there's anything I love, it's being reminded of my eternal shame. Eternal. Shameful. Being, uh, I mean, just for the rest of the year, you'll live. I mean, but what if I don't? What if I die in between now and then, and that's going to go on my tombstone? Here lies Stephen Campbell, 1992 to too soon, lost to Space Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Repeatedly. 
Well, we'll see what happens at Nova again. Maybe you can redeem yourself a little bit. Just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I want it engraved on my tombstone. Charging them seemed like such a good idea at the time. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's back up back to Nova and Steven and this whole Space Wolf thing, right? Mm-hmm. Does that mean if Steven faces a space, space Wolf player at Nova that he has to like openly compliment the guy as well, Austin? Uh, no. So, I, did this get mentioned before? In the podcast, maybe. Well, we have, but we why not? About why it, not? Repeat all right. It. So for yeah, recap, it. uh, Stephen and I have—I I can't even say it's a friendly rivalry between legions. It's an out-and-out hatred of Stephen, me for Stephen's word bearers, uh, and until recently, Stephen for space wolves in general. So we decided, after many arguments, uh, to determine which was best legion. The only way that we could figure was a fair way to do it, and that was three Centurion games. Uh, so it wouldn't be, you know, who had bought the latest, fanciest Forge World toy, just the men doing the work. Uh, best of three. Uh, Steven won the first game. Uh, quite handily, if I remember. It, it was a bad day to be a Space Wolf. It was, uh, uh, well, to be fair, I also mobbed you with seven Dreadnoughts. <laughs> yeah, there was that. So, uh, the second okay. game, uh, I kind of did the same thing to him and just obliterated him. And the third game, we decided to just lay it all out there. And the loser of that game uh, would have to publicly post on our RBA 30K page that the other Legion was the superior Legion, not only to their Legion, but to all Legions. Um, and apart from personal games between the two of us, could not disparage the other person's legion. <laughs> uh, and I gotta say, like, I've, I've played at Ard Boys, I've, you know, won tournaments, I, I have a fancy cup from Nova. That game was the most terrifying game I have ever played in my life. The personal stakes were just so the high. The personal stakes were just ridiculous. Um, and up until we turn three, I thought I was going to we ended up recounting the victory points like three times just to be sure. <laughs> yeah. Because like, it came down to one. He won by one point. Oh, wow. Yeah, it came down to one. Uh, we decided to play missions out of Inferno, just sort of progressing through, picking ones that we thought were characterful. Uh, and the last one, I forget the name of the mission, but what yeah, should have been Primarchs and was instead our Praetors were fighting in the middle. Uh, and then from the short table edges, our legions were coming at each other. Uh, and Steven's Praetor, in an attempt to be underhanded like all word bearers, uh, started doing psychic shenaniganry on himself and miscast multiple times. They put two wounds on himself. He put two <laughs> wounds on himself, and then uh, your yeah. traitor just bopped him on the head and finished him off. <laughs> yeah, uh, bopped him on the head and killed him. And mind you, um, so I had an extra wound because I was taking the Aether Rune armor. So he'd done three wounds to my Praetor before I killed him, but I had four wounds because we're better than them. Uh, and then throughout the rest of the game, I wound up winning by one. Uh, and now Steven isn't allowed to criticize the best of all legions in public <laughs> until the next year when we will do this again. Damn. What a tale. It was... Um... It has, it has been my greatest shame. It, it shall continue. So for my week, uh, what I've been up to this week is mostly apparently just being reminded of what I was up to several weeks ago. 
and what I shall be continued to be reminded of for the rest of the year. Oh, we'll make sure of it too, Stephen. Never forget. I'm just, I'm just going to start bringing my Nova Trophy to every event and just waving it in the face of anyone who, hey, how'd your Space Wolf thing go? I have a Nova Trophy, shut up! Don't make me start bringing back the plaque. I'll do it. I'll just oh, wave boy. it in your face. Is that what you want? You want the plaque that to come back? Plaque. It says best tactician. You just need it mounted in your car. You pull up to battlegrounds. I'm gonna, here. I'm gonna put a, I'm gonna put a hole through it and wear it on a chain like a big, to- <laughs> uh, like a big flavor flavor clock. <laughs> Perfect. I would pay to see you do that at Nova. How much money? <laughs> I mean, not a lot. It would be funny. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to alienate the entire group of people there <laughs> with a display of ostentatiousness. <laughs> I don't think I won't. I have no shame. You're not an emperor's children. Mm, that mean nothing. <laughs> mm. Okay, Will, how about yourself? What have you been up to this week? Well, um, this week I painted a 10-man squad of Mordathan with uh, Kambu Plasmas, and I got to play them. Um, what was that day? Was it Saturday? Yeah. I played a non-Centurion list against Jason's Centurion list, mm. and... I finally beat Jason after three years of playing against him, and all it took was me cheating and playing a regular list against a centurion list. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, super simple. Mm. Jason always North. acts like when beating yeah. is really hard. Uh, so, and I was running like character heavy. I had Shadrach, I had uh, Strike Captain Mon, I had uh, uh, Casterman Orth in the Arcus, of course. <laughs> um, turn one, I fucking ripple fired the Arcus with its strength eight AP two missiles at um, Jason. Help me out here. What's the little servo skull called? The cyber ocularis. Yeah, I fired eight strength eight AP two shots at the cyber ocularis just for because I wanted to deny. Because uh, I mean, it does like a lot of good stuff. Uh, for example, interceptor, and I don't want my lightning getting intercepted when it comes on. Right. Sure. Fucking missed everything. No. <laughs> Even with BS5, uh, I made like seven of the eight shots and then only wounded three times on what? what I don't know how many ones I rolled, but I know he's only T3, so oh my I, I only rolled, I think, three dice above two. <laughs> and uh, then he had, it was night fighting in yeah. ruin. So he had a three oh, yeah. up, and I was like, oh, Jesus. All right, whatever. So that was a spectacular waste in my opening salvo with uh, Orth. But no, it was an amazing game. Like, it was a good back and forth. And by the end of it, he had two units in my deployment zone. I had two units in his deployment zone. And then it came down to, like, secondary objectives, um, like attrition. Uh, and I think that's where I won out was attrition. But it was a it was a great game. And the more Dathan coming in and... Uh, Man, with that uh, lethal strike and those combi plasmas, I mean, being twin link with plasma is already cool. Yeah. And then rending, too, so I can hit armor 15 if I needed to. Um, it was pretty good. I, I had a lot of fun with it. It was a good baseline to shoot at, too, because I was shooting at a 20-man. I think it was 20-man. Uh, t- what are they? Assault squad? So they yeah. had combat shields and an apothecary. So it was a good baseline to kind of like what you would see is like a Tartaros Terminator bodyguard, sort of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, 
I didn't wipe them as I thought I would. Uh, they're very resilient uh, thousand suns. And the poor little Mordathan, being only six inches away from them after scouting and infiltrating, and then um, it was brutal. They just got hacked down by the Flexomancer. He just <laughs> smashed through those poor little guys. But uh, it was a great game. Had a lot of fun. How did the Flexomancer die in the end? I shot him with Orth. Hmm? That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> did yeah. you shoot him with Orth or with Orth's tank? Because Orth's if you shoot him with Orth, then just kill him Orth's with a pistol. Tank. <laughs> no, yeah, let's be clear. Orth's tank killed him. <laughs> yeah, if Orth had just had a bolt pistol, it's like, well, clow, and then, like, killed the Flexomancer. And like, oh, man. <laughs> Hero of the war. He's going to win the whole war by himself. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the Flexomancer so kind of had it. a bad day that weekend. And I've just been looking at um, epic stuff a lot. I've been getting into more like epic groups in Richmond. Oh, man. we got a little Tiny Jerks group going up, which is <laughs> uh, like a bunch of epic stuff. So, I mean, I Will, just keep, you've, like, uh, you've piqued my interest. Shut what? up. Shut what? up, Austin. I knew I shouldn't have mentioned anything. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm totally looking at these sculpts, and they're adorable. It's like Micro Machines, but 40K and 30K. So I'm For those super of the uh, initiated, it. Austin is our specialist games guru. Yeah, resident uh, specialist game. I think you mean pusher. <laughs> yeah, no, he's totally. <clears> I like, I, I prefer mean, to consider myself the chief iterator of specialist games. Okay. Whatever you want to call you yourself. Can, I mean, yeah, that's like drug dealers call themselves businessmen, but <laughs> you're just pimping out specialist games and cocaine to everybody. BFG Necromunda. Yeah, you know what? I had a passing interest oh, in BFG yeah, and, one day. And I saw that, uh, whatchamacallum, those little... Uh, House Evil uh, Wake. Evil Wake. Yeah, House Evil Wake uh, are going to be on sale next week, so I'm excited for this. Fansar. Oh, Fansar. <laughs> Evil Wake. Yeah, yeah for the, those of you guys who have never seen Wake, uh, just look at the picture of the Vansar guy, that like, mugshot mug they have, where he's got the goatee and the man bun. Uh, that's Wake, just with... Wake has glasses, so that's that's what makes it different. <laughs> Wait a minute, no. scribble some glasses on in there. the TV shows. The doppelganger, that's the bad guy. He always has glasses, right? No, no. The the mark of the doppelganger is is a goatee, and yeah. Wake doesn't always have a have goatee. Van, so no, Wake doesn't bad, always have a goatee. Evil. Wake is actually Vansar, dude. but none of us realize it because he's wearing glasses. It's like Superman. Oh, that's like, nobody it. knows oh. Superman. <laughs> just uh, yeah, glasses. yeah. Let's yeah, get, let's get it right, it. people. Oh, Until yeah. he gets tagged in a Facebook post. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook's out. Vance Hunt wears them recognizes me. Captain America doesn't wear glasses. Hmm. You were seen at Starbucks with Vansar. What? <laughs> Vansar? That could be right. <laughs> what? Turn around, Wake's got like, all that carapace armor on. What the hell? <laughs> but oh, uh, no, man, it's been, a, it's been a great hobby week. Um, and, uh, oh, little surprise, I got Constantine Valdor. Uh, so I'm looking forward to adding him to my um, <coughs> little squads. Thank you, Brian, for that. Might cough. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it, man. It's been a lot of fun. Um, have you already talked about what you've done? Jesse, um, what you been up to, man? Uh, the girlfriend's working. had some family in town, so I've been running around uh, showing them off Virginia because they're from Germany. So Rock that's been a lot of fun. Roll. Yeah. Um, I guess buying stuff counts, right? Yeah, buying stuff counts. Yeah, absolutely. It's I uh, picked up uh, three Demos pattern rhinos from a gentleman who was selling them over at Battlegrounds. Bought some uh, Dark Angel doors to put on those from Forge World. And let's see. Oh, got you got some. the little night guy, right? I got the little night guy who's seated, ready to be uh, 
I still need to build them up, paint them. It's actually a really solid cast. Like, very little uh, flashing to trim off or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, her cockpit's all done and everything. I don't know if you want to give her to me and I'll paint her, or um, if you want to, you know, your, your deal. Cockpit's I'll build her up and uh, I'll let you go ahead and finish her off. Sounds brute. Thank you, by the way. Yeah. Oh, and that was something else I'd done, I guess talking about buying stuff i bought some speeders so i've been debating on how to arm them what kind of speeders land speeders just just the regular uh 40k ones because mars pattern god damn forge world hasn't released uh the demos pattern speeders yet the little uh what are they the jet packs that you sit on oh (laughs) are those is that what they call i don't know that's what the I'm rocket calling wheelchairs. until they get an actual name. Rogue Trader era ones. Yeah. <laughs> until Forge World releases those. I thought I'm those were supposed the, to be uh, a special ones. event only. Those yeah. are not OSHA certified either. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'm going to have to fly to the UK and go to an event just to get those. Or wait till Nova, one of the two. You know, Will, I'll just say that uh, you can find those speeders in epic size, super cheap. Holy shit. Super cheap. <laughs> but yeah, and... um. Got some Mark III armor to uh, update my Dark Angels from Mark IV down to Mark III. Upgrade by a downgrade. Exactly. So, yep. Got some shoulder pads and whatnot. So, looking forward to seeing them running around. Just creeping on other tacticals here pretty soon. Is that what you're doing? Are you making them uh, tacticals? Or are you going to go? Yeah, I'm, other? I'm phasing out my Mark IV. Oh, I'm are just, you completely phasing it out? Yeah. I oh, want a little man. older look. Okay, uh, I might keep the Mark IV for specific things like um. Yeah, just if you need like a twenty-man blob, and you already have all that Mark IV sitting around, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna turn like the Mark IVs and like Seekers or things like that. There you go, specialized okay. units. But um, yeah, not too much this week, but be moving into a new apartment here pretty soon, and then uh, yeah, big old hobby room. It's gonna be good. Hobby Living the dream. Oh, that's right. How about you, Dave? What have you been up to this week? Yeah, it's been a it's been a good hobby week for me as well. I turned around a dry spell for a couple weeks, not getting any games in. It's been way too busy, and uh, got two games in with my buddy Rich, um, who he has the uh, the Hampton Roads 30k group. Right. Um, right. He's kind of putting together so. Um, shout out to Rich. He came up on Sunday of last week to help me move a giant display case. Um, that's a whole nother story, but, um, (laughs) that, that went sideways. We ended up getting the case, but not until Tuesday. Um, and then Brian really came through for me big time, man. Um, that's a, uh, it's a funny story. I'll tell you guys sometime, but, um, Yeah. So Rich came up on Sunday. Uh, we played a 2,500-point game at my place. Um, he used his uh, Death Guard, and he was playing um, the Rite of War, the Reaping. Um, so he just had uh, just, like, 80 fucking tacticals. Um, they're not all tacticals, but they were, like, dudes, not in vehicles. And um, he probably used, like, four Betrayal Calf box sets to build that thing. Um, but it was intense, uh, and it was a good game. I was playing my, um, was I playing, uh, my Thousand Sons, right? My 15th Legion. Um, and it, uh, it was, it was an uphill battle for me. He had like two squads of missile launchers and, 
um it was it was intense there's it a there's it a lot of firepower like i didn't realize i don't think i fully appreciated how much firepower um you can generate with just dudes oh sure <laughs> you know um what uh what legion was rich playing again he's playing the death guard gotcha that's that's right that's right. Yeah, so super thematic, super fluffy. Um, Rich actually brought me back a box of the Shadow Raids Zone Mortalis cards from Adepticon, oh, which shit. was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, very cool. We used those in the game to generate some just additional sort of um, narrative elements and, and missions. Um, it was pretty cool. Not missions, but the, the way that... Shenanigans, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're like sort of you can keep the cards and play them when you want. I think I had a card that let me have um, hatred for an assault phase, maybe, or preferred enemy. But yeah, they're like, um, they're pretty cool. I, I can't remember what event at, at uh, Adepticon you got them at. But anyway, that was really solid of Rich to bring me back a pack of these. And we had a great game. We played uh, 3750 after 2500. Total shenanigans. I put um a warhound titan on the board and um yeah so enough said on that (laughs) it uh it was fun it was fun um and i got a game in against austin uh battlefleet gothic game on uh on uh thursday of last week which austin i noticed uh did not mention i mean this is a 30k chat so <laughs> i didn't want to like bring in too hard with the specialist games here but uh it did not go well i i mean it was an awesome game it was a lot of fun uh down to the wire um austin and i played i think was it the raid mission um yeah yeah it was the uh the fucking raiders i think so i deployed all my um 750 points uh, in the center of the board, Austin's job was to come on and do damage, blood in the water, and then get off again. And uh, man, I guess it you know it went sideways when Austin gave me the the magic dice because I forgot mine. Um, and I think that that was what that's what what did it. So yeah, I, I had a set of dice, and I don't know where they came from. They don't match any of my armies. I, they might be one of y'all's. If any of y'all have missed some like weird crystalline-looking blue dice with white pips, but uh, Dave needed them, so it's like, oh, I'll go borrow these dice that I've never used before. Ruined me, <laughs> absolutely ruined me. I, I only had half the points he did because it's an asymmetric mission, uh, and I needed to kill one thing and then leave before the rest of his fleet got turned around, um, and proceeded to kill like four fifths of two things. And, uh, well, long story short, all three of my cruisers are expanding clouds of plasma and debris. Mm. No big deal, yeah, right? The, the, dice, the dice were definitely hot. And, uh, man, do I love the Nova Lance escorts because running a full squadron of six Nova Lance escorts, I mean, I braced every time and... You know, bracing um, in Battlefleet Gothic, if you brace, it gives you kind of like a four-up involve against any hits you take. It's like having fucking... It's like jinking in space. Yeah, it's a Terminator <laughs> space, man. Um, 
And, you know, if you make enough four ups, you can just live forever. And it was, that's kind of what it felt like um, against Austin. He, he honestly had the better tactics. He had the better strategy. Um, Austin is a much better player than I am. But, uh, man, sometimes the dice gods just, uh, you know, they throw you a bone. And uh, it, was a, it was a hell of a good game, even to the very end when I think Austin was, you're trying to get off the board with your one surviving um, Dauntless. And if you had gotten off the board, it would have, uh, I think you still would have gotten the game on, on victory points. But uh, the, the Thos Hound, which is a Cardinal class uh, cruiser that Steven painted up for me, gorgeous. It's actually from the, the Bad Ab Wars lore, but playing it in, uh, in our 30K Battlefleet Heresy campaign. Last possible Lance Strike um, went through, and it was it was enough. And it uh, it sent uh, I don't know what the name of your um, Dauntless was, Austin, but it. Please say Gesa. Please say Gesa. <laughs> I, I think it was Gajala, but don't worry, Stephen. Gesa also uh, decided that that was a good day to die. Good. I owe you a beer, Dave, because any day that the Gesa dies is a good day. <laughs> well, that is one of the great things about Battlefleet Gothic in general um, is that you get a lot of hatred for specific enemy ships, as, as Stephen aptly. We uh, actually have a uh, we have another rivalry, Battlefleet Gothic, between your Dauntless cruiser, the Gesa, and my Styx cruiser, uh, the Hangman. Yes, neither of them seem to live, and both give the other one fits. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> the best part of. Austin and, and Steven and I, I think, uh, our, our little Battlefleet Heresy campaign is um, we make it a point to, after every game or before every game, uh, wander into billiards and uh, have a couple pints. And usually our favorite waitress is there, bartender, Brittany. Um, if you're listening, you're awesome. And uh, <laughs> you're 100% uh, the reason I consume alcohol when I play games, um, maybe not, <laughs> but definitely a large percentage. Um, yeah, she actually asked about the podcast this week, so I uh, oh, okay. I wrote it down. So yeah, she might hey, she might get a shout out. I guess who's going into plugs? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Jesse, am I doing the the PSA for Ryan now or at the end? Um. We can do it at the end, or we can do it right now, or we can do it both times. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah. it's, it's for a good cause, so hell, it is, let's it do is it for, twice. It is for a good cause. Um, so our, our buddy Ryan, who um, runs sort of the Maryland 30K uh, group, I don't know, runs it, but he definitely organize, helped organize and leads it. Um, he is putting together a Toys for Tot charity army that uh he's going to start painting up after nova um it's going to be auctioned off before christmas and rfi is sponsoring it so shout out to those guys radio free esteban um it's going to be a sons of horus army and here's what we need your help with members of the community um looking for the following to make this toys for tots army happen um you can donate uh, cash, which is always appreciated. Uh, you can do that through PayPal, and we'll uh, put the link in the, the show notes. I don't have it right now. but um, Or you can just get in touch directly with Ryan Bridges. Um, he's also looking for two Land Raider Phobos uh, or a GW Land Raider 
uh, kit, two Envelis Dreadclaws, uh, a set of Jesteran Terminators, a Leviathan Dreadnought, Dreadnought Drop Pod, two Javelin Landspeeders, and I believe that's everything that he asked me to put out. And we'll put that in the show notes as well, um, so you guys can just um, reference that list later. And yeah, just get in touch with us, get in touch with Ryan, or I'm sure you can get in touch with the folks over at RFI as well. But definitely a good cause, and 100% of the proceeds for that go to the charity. It's going to be an eBay auction, so we'll we'll definitely probably, I guess, talk more about that as it gets closer. But uh, absolutely, yeah. Good Cheers. Stuff. All right, and with that, I think that wraps up what we've been up to this week. If anyone has anything else they want to jump in on there, go right ahead right now. I'll take that as a no. All right, so we've got a pretty packed episode today, I believe. I think, let's see, what we got? Somebody help me out here. What we got? I got no show notes in front of me at the moment. <laughs> are, we, are we doing worth a buy on the Oryx? Yeah, I think I think that was one thing that uh, Pat mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that is why I'm here. <laughs> And I think not that I don't love you guys. <laughs> I think that was it, and then we were going to roll into Heresy uh, Grad School. Yep. Yep. And, and trivia, trivia question. Plug. We got Heresy Grad School this year or fucking year uh, <laughs> today. Strap in, people. It's going to be a long episode, everyone. <laughs> the Remembrance Retreat Year Marathon. Well, uh... <laughs> Today for Heresy Grad School, we're going to be tackling one of our uh, most ambitious projects to date. We're going to go over the Istvan atrocity. But, uh, uh, damn it. <laughs> Istvan 5 or Istvan 3? Ah, that's a good question, Stephen. Atrocity, but uh, that's going to be Istvan 3, the earlier, yeah. uh, smaller, hipster Istvan. <laughs> it Istvan before it was cool. Before all the other Primarchs got in on it? Yeah. Well, sounds good. Yeah, so we're going to roll right into uh, Worth by then? Yeah, we'll take a quick break, and uh, we can start with Worth a Buy. Then we'll go into Heresy Grad School, some trivia, and then uh, some closing statements. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back for Worth a Buy with Austin. And we're going to talk about the Orox Armored Transport. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, The Orox Armored Transport. Um, For those of you that haven't seen the stats yet, um, it is exactly like a Rhino. Uh, Armor-wise, three hull points. Uh, It has BS3 because it's just mortals riding around in it. Uh, And it comes in two flavors. The Solar Auxilia flavor, which is 35 points. Um, it has Explorator Adaptation. Um, the basic war gear for both is a Heavy Stubber. You can give it a Heavy Flamer. Solar Oxys can also give it a Multi-Laser. Uh, the Militia version is 25 points. And all of this sounds really great, um, especially for Militia, because you're getting a 10 points cheaper Rhino uh, with a heavier gun for free. That's really a problem, though. Because uh, its transport capacity is 10 models, and it can only be taken uh, by platoon command cadres and the grenadier squads. Um, 
nobody takes platoon command cadres. I mean, like, I, I want to like them, but just because people like having psychers, and you need a force commander, and maybe you, you throw in the, uh, the commissar equivalents, a platoon command cadre just isn't something I've personally seen a whole lot of. Um, and the Imperial Grenadier squads, they can take special weapons, but you need to buy the man for them. So it's not like a Space Marine squad uh, where you have your 10 men and you upgrade a guy to have a melt-a-gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Grenadiers, you have your 10 men, and then you buy an 11th man with a melt-a-gun. Mm. So right. that's like not a... great. Yeah. Um, and I say this as somebody, one of my three soon-to-be-four militia armies is a Grenadier army running around in rhinos. Um, that's for laughs. <laughs> it's not going to get work done at all. Um, but the real problem is, so you've got a 25-point transport um, that's not too great, but, you know, you could maybe for fluff, have a couple of things in there. Um, the problem is the price. So, it is 58 pounds, which, as of the conversion rate right this second, is $81.21. Ooh, that's expensive. Which, um, for those of you wondering, is $3.20 per point. Uh, it's not great. Although I did find one funny thing. So they're selling uh, in the classic GW style. You can buy a set of three uh, for 174 pounds. But the funny thing about that is, uh, and I don't know what the exchange rate's doing to make this happen, uh, but that's actually four cents more than buying three of them individually, uh, which is just sort of, why you got to kick me when I'm down? Uh, it is a beautiful model. Don't get me wrong. Uh, when I first saw it, I was kind of in love. Uh, they say they're going to make some in the future with a turret option, and that would make me so very, very happy. Because, um, like I said, they're, they're really cool-looking models, and if something comes with a turret uh, that isn't obnoxiously priced, I will probably get one. But, like, the RX Armored Transport Group is 174 pounds. Uh, the Solar Auxilia tank battery, uh, those Lehman Rust chassis with the Basilisk guns, which are way more expensive points-wise and useful tabletop-wise, is only 165 pounds. So it is kind of a disappointment. Um, Pat wanted me to come on and talk about this a couple of days ago, and I've been kind of racking my brain for something useful to do. Um, one of the thoughts, and I think maybe uh, Dave or Jason or somebody during the break uh, was wondering if you can stick a a little Cyclops demolition vehicle in them. You can't, because RX can't carry bulky or very bulky models. Um, but one thing that I did think would be kind of funny is, uh, so you get the Militia Transport. It's 25 points. You have a little unit of Grenadiers. Uh, don't deploy the Grenadiers in it. Keep it off on its own. Uh, and then you stick a 60-point bare-bones recon squad in it with a demo charge. And you just haul ass somewhere, jump out, and throw a demo charge on somebody. Um, that's funny. It's not good by any means. Um, but that is the only conceivable use 
I can see for it, unless you're just rolling in money and uh, want a bunch of really inefficient Grenadier units. Um, also, Austin, uh, it's got a firing hatch on top, so I don't even think you need to jump out to throw that little demo charge, would you? Oh, that's true. That's <laughs> drive that's even funnier. It just went from being <laughs> funny. It just went from being funny, but not good, to funny and good. Yeah, well, you only get one demo charge though, so it's not great. And I might add a demo charge. Could blow up your tank. Can blow up your tank. Pretty okay. <laughs> um, and it's only got like I think a six-inch range, so the scatter on that gets yeah, uh, sphincter right clenching. Yeah. Um. But really, and and it really makes me sad. Like if this was a, you know, a GW Rhino money-wise equivalent, uh, I could s- believe we could start seeing a lot of these running around because they are really cool-looking models. But oh yeah, ah, uh, for eighty bucks, it's just disappointing. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll give my opinion real quick. If that's all right, uh, I completely agree with you, Austin. Uh, the price of it, I don't think it's a model that you want to have in mass. It is definitely a collector's model, though. So if you're a solo auxilia player, mm-hmm. I know like David's a collector. He's got a huge collection of solo auxilia, and you know he magnetizes them to show their um, ability to be like unique in that way and uh, have options. So this would kind of be a great idea. And if they do ever release those additional turrets, like you said, cool. For a practical and, standpoint, I don't see them ever being used in bats, like you said. Yeah, I mean, for... I completely agree. For Solar Auxilia, uh, I guess they do use their command sections more often than militia guys. Uh, I'm a militia player myself. I don't have any Solar Oxys. Um, so Dave might speak to that. It's not as good as a Dracosin by any means. Uh, but for 35 points, if you want something to keep a squad out of danger rather than the Dracosans, you know, going to go look for a fight might not be a bad option. Yeah. Um, smaller than a Dracosian, uh, so you might be able to get it hidden at a line of sight easier. A um, couple of other things, if you're in a uh, Age of Darkness or Survivors of the Age of Darkness, whatever that uh, provenance is. Survivors of a Dark Age? Yeah. Why not just get regular Rhinos in? They're BS4. They come with combi bolters and they have the option for like dozer blades and uh hunter seeker missiles or hunter killer missiles and then all the other options like multi melters and that kind of stuff you know why yeah, havoc launchers yeah kind of makes you wonder what? if maybe they'll be fit or rather edited out in another edition or in another book update i i don't know some people uh, armies are completely revolved around that you yeah, I don't think so, Steve, just because it is pretty fluffy, especially for heresy or armies, for everybody to use rhinos. Like, normal humans have access to a lot of rhinos. Uh, and even in 40 down to the grocery store. Yeah, I mean, even in yeah, 40K, rhinos are pretty ubiquitous. Um, so it'd be a little weird if they got rid of them, but I could definitely see them kind of, like, shoving that idea into a dark corner of a book and really pushing the aurochs especially if they start getting variants out to make it uh, more like the ch- Chimera chassis in 40K. Yeah, well, uh, like, like up putting corn flamers or something like that, or uh, mm-hmm. light predators with like a predator-esque cannon on top or something. Yeah, yeah I would love uh, that. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers the Siegfried light tank from Death Corps Krieg. Yeah. 
yeah, something like that. Like that'd be cool. Like stick an auto cannon turret up there for like ten points or something, and be yeah, kind of sentinel sentinel esque and go to town. A secondary question for you then is the um, aurochs. I haven't seen the rules. Are they experimental currently, um, or are they? This is what they are. Uh, they uh, don't like have the experimental the stamp on them. I think this is just the way it is. Oops, sorry, Aurochs. And again, like for the points, it's not bad. Um, but for the money you spend versus utility you get, I, I just don't see it. Gotcha. Got any thoughts on this, Dave? Yeah. So I mean, I was just looking at the tactical committee. Oh, um, there. there we go. Am I in there? Yeah, we yeah. hear you now. Yeah, so I, I was just looking at the um, tactical command section for uh, Solar Auxilia, and um, it's it's four characters: a Strategios, a Vexilaris, a uh, Proclamator, and then I guess it's really five because you get two veteran auxiliaries. Um, you can go up to an additional five veteran auxiliaries, um, and you can give them some cool shit. Uh, you can give them a melted gun. You can give them a plasma gun, but they also have access to a Dracosin or an Arvis. And so I, I don't know why you'd ever put them in the Aurochs because it, it's just going to, it's the first thing that's going to get shot off the table. And, uh, you know, it's just such light armor. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it was assault, if it was an assault vehicle, a hundred percent, um, I would have been, I would have been all over it because there's just nothing in the solar auxilia list right now that, that, that lets you do that. And I've been trying to figure out a way to get my, um, my power axe guys, uh, on, you know, give them, you know, give them a, a, a role on the table that makes sense. They can do something, but I, you know, I'm with Austin, man, the way it is right now, I just, uh, I, I can't, I can't see a role for it. It's a beautiful model though. I mean, it's super oh, cool. For sure. Yeah. It looks great, but yeah, kind of underwhelming really- rules. Yeah, that's really why I think it's more of a collector's model than it is a, uh, I guess, like a practical in-game model. Yeah, this would be great, like, if you're doing Inquisimunda or something, and you want your Inquisitor to have a really obscure ride. It's got all the stats of a Rhino, so I don't see anybody complaining about it. Um, So let me show this to you guys. Um, Austin and David, I'll ask you each, if there was one thing you could change to the Aurochs, what would it be? I mean, for me, it's it would it would be an assault vehicle. I mean, if you just made it assault, I would I would get it. Um, I don't even want higher armor or anything else. I I just want an assault vehicle. Gotcha. And Austin, what do you think? Uh, from the militia standpoint, if you made the transport capacity twelve models, it would gotcha. be fantastic. Because the big problem with running a mechanized, you know, survivors of the dark age, space marine, light militia army is that you can't get those special weapons into any of the transports. Right. And if there were 12, like, I don't think I'd buy six and, you know, go crazy, but you might talk me into doing something crazy and buying a couple. Well, if you're looking for a 12-capacity transport, I'm pretty sure there's a termite out there waiting for you. There is. There is. Let's get termite, too? I'm pretty sure they do. Don't they? I'm sure. I I mean, I'm not saying they don't. But I'm just saying, like, once again, um, custodes get screwed over, and we don't get an assault vehicle, and I'm <laughs> feeling really left out right now. 
Militia, get it. Or yep. Baby. Sucking custodes. Horus Heresy, Imperialis, oh my Militia, God. Fucking Militia are OP. I'm so sick of their <laughs> shit. 12 transport capacity. Militia are OP. Uh, I won't deny it. We're better than you. Bandwagon. You know like a bandwagon survivor of the Dark army. Age with three of those uh, claws, or the uh, the deep strikey mobiles. The termites. termites. That's that's what I'm trying to say in English. <laughs> yeah. The chompy drill thingy. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> David makes a good point. King. I mean, we're getting a little sidetracked here, but I want to go back to that. Solarox, those axe dudes just get shafted in so many ways, man, by not having an assault vehicle. The only one that Solar Auxilia have is the, uh, what is it, the Storm Lord? The Storm Lord. But then, like, yeah, it's so Lord of War for a 40 capacity. I mean, granted, you could put four squads with axes in there, but that's four squads with axes. That's, like, almost <laughs> all your army. If that thing gets blown up, that's all your dudes dead. Well, if you're looking for transport capacity for axe guys... I hear there for Solar Auxilla, I'm pretty sure there's a termite drill out there for them, too. Holy shit. But it's not <laughs> assault, Solarox I don't can think. Take termites I don't as think well. it's assault, right? Oh, you want assault. Yeah, so it is not an assault vehicle. It is not an assault. Oh, yeah. so hold on. Well, Jesse, <laughs> well, let's even... back up. Just because it says subterranean assault, you're going to be like, technically, it says hey. assault. Space Marine. I reached yeah. my case. Well, you still, uh, even if you, even if it was an assault vehicle, you still can't assault on the turn you come out of reserves. So yeah, but at least you'd be inside mm. the termite, and you could assault from it like a dragon. Even if an, if you're in an assault vehicle, even if, if you're yeah, in, in an assault, assault. Otherwise, assault. otherwise, believe you me, I would be charging with Galvorbach yeah. turn one as soon as <laughs> as soon as dreadclaws come down. Galvorbach are hugging you. Yeah, I've never really played assault armies, so I've never had to come in that situation yet. But. Yeah, yeah, must be nice just running fucking toasters all day. <laughs> so I do have uh, I do have something to say. I actually am getting a termite, oh, a nice. full squad of um, uh, flame a flame section. So the solar auxiliary adventures. Oh, Yes. Yeah. Very cool. That, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So Dave's painting that up for me. Um, I was just about to ask. Of course, because oh, yeah. I know what more plugs. One more new but, kind of squad for Jason to Thanatar into oblivion the turn it arrives. Oh, yeah, that, the, yeah that's the initiation for deep-striking units. It's just um, welcome to the 30K yeah, meta plasma I just want to say, Dave, getting like uh, publicity from Forge World, you know what I mean? How awesome oh, I saw was that? that post, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, his featured as a termite. They featured as termites. I was like, hot damn, man. And they look good. Yeah. They look they awesome. Look- Amazing. The model itself looks great. Dave did an awesome job painting them up. It's definitely a solid addition to the Horus Heresy family. <laughs> are they still um, sold out right now? Yeah, from the- they're, they're temporarily out of stock at the moment. That's crazy. So I mean, it's an amazing. There's going to be a lot of drills at Nova. Little toy man. Just a bunch of craftsman drills sitting on the tables. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is a termite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, just like Dremel tools. They're like, guys, this is my counter <laughs> termite. Or just better yet, all the all the little epic termite models just put on templates that make them the right size. <laughs> oh, yeah. There yeah. go. Come on, we hold ourselves to a higher standard than that. We absolutely do. Yeah, that's right. We are not a warhound on Sky Shield landing. Yeah, uh, I wasn't going to bring that up, but yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, Jason and I, we were playing our game in the back there. Of battlegrounds, and they were also yep. doing a tournament. 
<laughs> and not a single army in that tournament was painted. Oh, no, it was really? Just, it was a, it was a, all right, let's be clear. It was a 40K doubles tournament. Okay. And it was just, oh, man, it was bad. Yeah. But the, it was nice to see them coming over and be like, these look so great. That's what I love is when people come over and see two fully painted armies and they're like, man, this is, this is cool. And it's like, yeah, you should totally get in the hobby. But then they look over and they see those double tournaments and they're like, oh, yeah, I guess whatever. Yeah. No, one of them had a, uh, either an Imperial Guard army or a Death Corps Krieg army that was painted. And there was also an army against some paint, But we're not talking fully painted armies. We're talking like partially painted armies. I'm, I'm fairly certain that Death Corps army was fully painted. Steve, maybe you I was just, just getting... said that destroyers had to buy another marine with a rocket launcher, so I don't know <laughs> if I completely trust what you think right now. I've seen oh, that army. I think it's fully thing. painted. I don't think it's fully based. Yeah. I know the Armageddon Steel Legion dude had <clears throat> fully painted infantry and fully painted uh, cavalry. <clears throat> I, I, all the models he left on the table when he went to go do something else were fully painted. The prosecution rests. <laughs> Is this Bird Law we're going over? Yes. Old Harvey Birdman. I just started watching that again the past few weeks. I love that fucking show. <laughs> oh, such a blast in the past. Yeah. All right. Was that all we have on the uh, Torox then? It's not the Torox. The Torox. Yeah. Torox. The Termite Orox Torox. Yeah, like the Torox is great, and if yeah, it's still Tor- available, buy one before all the Elysians go out of stock. Oh, man. Poor Elysians. Yeah, that's right. Rest in peace, Elysians. I would like to take a moment to vent unrelated. I do this every time, and I keep telling myself I'm not going to do it, where I put the shoulder pads and the jump pack both on an unpainted model, and then when I'm painting shoulder pads, there's like a tiny little piece that I can't get to because the jump pack's in the way. <laughs> Can you see it? Um... I can, if I get really close, kind of in the same way that I know that you don't paint the inside of your pistol holsters, just exactly. like I don't. Why waste your time? <laughs> because Completionist, that's why. I know it's yes, in there. That's good, man. Same you reason I play that, Fire Emblem. You go Emblem that extra mile, Steven. You go that extra mile. Ugh, no one's going to know but me. Hey, Steven, you know what integrity is? Integrity is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. So you're painting is to an integrity level. I like that. That's good. You're painting even where nobody's going to see. I mean, you know that I don't paint the inside of my pistol holders. I just said that I don't, so... <laughs> you have no integrity. <laughs> Shameful. I'm the worst at painting. All right, so we're getting into uh, Heresy Grad <laughs> School. for some... Uh... Yeah. It sounds like a 16-year-old who's like, I'm so ugly in this bathing suit photo of myself. <laughs> I'm so... Well, girl, if that's what you think, I'm not going to argue with you. You do. <laughs> God. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to enforce the patriarch by telling you how to live. If that's how you want to think, go ahead. This week on Remember Tuesday Retreats, Stephen gets compared to a 16-year-old. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's let's uh, fly away from this as quickly as possible. Ooh, grav shoots pack of ten. Get them while you can. Get some Elysian jetpacks, guys. Why don't we you have say Legion a, uh, or Legion? Elysians. The Elysians, Elysians. 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 Are, okay. are currently going out of stock. I also really like their weapons pack. Cool as Also, Forge World, please, for the love of God, please, please, please make some Legion jump pack upgrade kits. Yes, okay. For so, the love of God. Here it is. If you're listening to this, 
Forgerill has said if, that if we want products, we have to email them, all right? We're doing a mass call. Your homework, listeners, and other co-hosts of the retreat is to just send an email saying, like, hey, I would like X, Y jump packs made in, like, an upgrade sprue. Why can't we do that? Yep. Do we so, need yeah, to start a change.org for this? Yeah, let's do a change.org. Let's not do a change.org. Uh, <laughs> GoFundMe. We're going to do a GoFundMe and a change.org. <laughs> I'm going to update my Facebook done, profile, pick a little jump pack in the corner. Like, with all the Betrayal of Calf coming out, how do they not have jump pack upgrades? Because it's that huh? sweet, sweet $50 for five dude money they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's $100 for we'll just, we'll just go the way and get the $35 uh, Blood Angel Sanguinary yeah, it's Guard. it's cheaper for, for me to get a Sanguinary <laughs> Guard pack and the rest to Jesse than it is to buy <laughs> five resin dudes. Yep. It's ridiculous. Crazy. Speaking of which, though, Austin... Here's what I need you to do while you're over there homebrewing provinces pretty sweet. from militia. Yes, you sir. Homebrew a uh, a uh, an airborne militia province. That way, okay. you have an excuse to buy all of those grab shoot. Uh, <laughs> so I thought about this. I really did. Um, and at the Why end of the day, province? is this Project Ruby stuff? Maybe you all can't right. see me, but I'm doing shifty eyes. Okay. Just, I want most of it to be a surprise, is all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought about it, and uh, it can, can I continue, Will? Am I allowed? Yeah. Are we good? I, all right. I, I will allow it. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Um, so I've thought long and hard about doing uh, an airborne equivalent, um, and the answer is going to be no, because there aren't any flying transports besides the Arvis, which isn't really an assault transport. It's just, you know, a shuttle somebody steals to do other stuff with, <laughs> um, which leaves deep striking. And that just seems, in a 30K setting, just so much the Solar Auxilia's job. Um, I think that any civilization that uh, would have, you know, kind of like an Elysian, they do a lot of void stuff mentality. Um, as their pers- as their planetary defense force, uh, would kind of take that extra step and equip them like Solar Auxilia, uh, rather than have a sort of obscene mass drop militia mentality for it. Um, so yeah, thought about it a lot. Uh, the fluff would seem to say no with the current models we have. Hmm. Imagine would drop agree. one wave Those of militiamen. Good points you brought up. Yeah, drop the second wave of militiamen on top of them and use the first wave as a cushion. Right, but you're going to deep strike twenty guys. Like, come on, now that's no. I'm going to deep strike forty guys. You can't fury the budget. both of them. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, if if they had come out with uh, a Valkyrie equivalent, um. Or even like a drop potting sort of thing. Like I don't know if you guys remember the the Beastmen militia I had with their drop pot of doom. Like that would be cool <laughs> with all the poop on the inside. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so so Austin, what do you think that means though for like for Forge World and the future of Imperial? I think Forge World is just not going to do any of the Imperial armor books that we currently have. Do you think they're they're not going to bring them into eighth? All right, well, 
I'll, I'll start by saying that this has been a long time coming. Uh, they've been slowly phasing out everything that isn't Krieg. Uh, they had, you know, that Talarn range that was just gorgeous. Uh, oh, that oh, went yeah. away years ago. Uh, and now the Elysians are going. Uh, the Krieg hang around only because I assume they were the most popular. I mean, they're gorgeous models, but all three ranges are really good. Um, so I don't know. Um, my thought would be maybe, I mean, there's so many good plastic kits out now. Like if you really wanted to, you could do an Imperial Guard army using any of the Necromunda boxes and make that happen real easy. The Orlock are just swappable with the Cadian and Catechan ranges. Uh, I, I mean, and they've dropped all their old metal ones as well. The Praetorians, Destroyans, all those guys are gone or going. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I was really hoping for plastic something. Like Those Catechan models are really showing their age. Um, and I was really hoping for a new box of Guardsmen when the, the 8th Ed IG Codex dropped. And it just hasn't happened. So I don't know if they're like saving up and have some big master plan to release a whole bunch of GW plastics. Uh, or maybe a Forge World has stopped doing their regiments because they're going to start doing like Australians or something. Because they have a more 30k feel to them and can swing both ways. Uh, I don't we know. got a whole fall and winter upcoming yeah. to see what's... We have no idea what's in stock. Yeah, no, I could do a whole segment on just, like, obscure Imperial Guard and <laughs> uh, Imperial Militia stuff, so don't don't let me, like, take up the whole podcast talking about that right now. <laughs> you know, I just noticed... Well, dude, seriously, also, we may actually have you on here one day for just that. Yeah? Dude, I'd be more than happy to run a Militia Day for, like, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. Man, speaking of which, we recently discovered that Jason has been playing since second edition. Oh my really? god, you're right. Yeah. Yesterday yeah, it was a huge he, he like stopped talking and eating and everything and just contemplated outside a window that wasn't there and was like, Oh my god. I've been playing for like twenty seven years and I was like, Holy shit. Twenty two <laughs> years. 22. <laughs> 22 years. All right. Yeah, yeah. 22 years. Jason it's remembers like, when it uh, went from. He's like the only one of us that's been playing as long as I have. Yeah, I actually realized. Um, I think February, like January, February time frame, uh, was my 20 year anniversary of playing uh, GW games, which was kind of awesome and also a little sad because. Man, the amount of times that I like get a rule wrong because that's how it was in third edition is just ridiculous. Tell me about it, man. Yeah, well, I just have to have the old beard segment next time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, coming out of left field, I was just looking at the Forge World website. The Solar Ox transfer sheets are no longer available. <gasps> They're not out of stock. They are no longer available. Well, oh, Solar Auxiliary being phased out. It's happening. <laughs> Too young. They always go too young. Wild speculation like the internet loves. Box set? Ooh. Yep, yep. Let's do that's that. It. Let's that's be a new Horus Heresy uh, <laughs> plastic box yeah, coming out this fall. Plastic box set will be uh, traitors with breachers and assault marines coming in on a solar auxilia like space station or something. Yep. On the plastic Boom. Thunderhawk. Plastic yeah. Thunderhawk. Of course, that's the only way like you could that. balance that. Apply salt. <laughs> and go. 
<laughs> no, don't apply salt. This is from a reputable source, the Remembrance's Retreat. We all I do know people. I've been around now. for months. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think we should definitely push on to uh, uh, Harris Grad School. Yeah, sounds Brain. like a good plan. All right, we'll uh, take a break, guys, and uh, we'll come back with Jason. And we're back, everybody. This time we got Jason with Heresy Grad School talking about Istvan 3. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm here with uh, my buddy Dave today, and we're going to get deep into some trivia in Heresy Grad School today. So, Heresy Grad School, we get you ready for the exam at the end of the semester. Think of it like the MCAT for Intergalactic Conquest. So... Today on Istvan 3, this is the kind of smaller Istvan. I think occasionally, and very unfortunately, it gets a little overlooked. Uh, it is covered in the very first Horse Heresy Black Book. And a lot of folks that are coming in, you know, a few years after the Heresy train got rolling, uh, kind of overlook this one. Some of the Black Books get left by the side of the road anyway, because they don't have as many fancy new consolidated rules in them as the Red Books do. And I think that's a shame, because uh, first off, Istvan Three here has a long history to it. Uh, a lot of folks know that Istvan Three is where Horus originally started the first shots of the heresy, uh, proverbially speaking. It's where he purged the first big four traitor legions of any uh, loyalist contingents that might have been still hanging around in there to really get the heresy rolling. But he didn't select these planets at random. Uh, he didn't just find the Istvan system, uh, you know, scrolling through star charts and think like, oh, these are out of the way. I can probably get up to some shady shit over here. Uh, Istvan 3 and the Istvan system as a whole was actually conquered a long time before. Uh, just a little backstory on that. Uh, the Istvan system is a pretty big deal as far as galactic conquest goes. There were not one, but two uh, life-sustaining worlds, which, I mean, if you know anything about the chances and the tiny, tiny percentages of actually spawning a, <laughs> spawning, you know, like randomly generating a life-sustaining world in the galaxy at large, it's an infinitesimally small chance. But for this system to have two potentially life-sustaining worlds was a huge deal. So, of course, you know, for the Imperium, it's free real estate, so they are, they are on top of it. So, as a whole, the system lies in the northern reaches of the Ultima Segmentum. And that is, it's actually right on the edge of kind of known space at the time. And it's because of this isolation that... Imperial historians think that's why the Dark Age human colonies that were set up there have endured for so long, uh, relatively intact. So when the Crusade fleets are rolling through, the Istvanians are not big fans. Uh, they're kind of a religious sect of people, and they're not... Uh, 
let's see. It's, they're said to have a history of independence, and there's a long-standing autochthonic culture uh, prevalent on Isfahan III. So when the Imperial Crusade rolls up to their uh, you know, space front door and insists on compliance with this uh, greater deal with the Emperor, they're not big fans. Uh, they eventually you know, deny compliance, but the Emperor is not going to let that shit stand. Uh, he wants those fancy planets. Uh, they're not only life-sustaining, but it's actually a pretty industrialized society. Uh, so they're a pretty high priority so far as conquering goes. And unfortunately, for whoever has to take it over, uh, that industrialization is something the Imperial Army as a whole wants to hang on to. So that kind of precludes the use of overwhelming force. So, given that, uh, it is left up to the Raven Guard and Korax himself to hop down there and attack their capital city. Now, the capital city of Istvan III is called the Coral City. That's a coral is in a choir, not coral is in the underwater type. But um, they are said to attack and conquer it in just a single night. The coral city is pretty much uh, all the important buildings are bombed to ruins. And those who deny the imperial truth are dead or in chains in that very short 12-hour window. Uh, including the... Uh, planetary Senate, which again is uh, organized inside that Coral City. Which, of course, whenever I hear Planetary Senate, that just makes me think of uh, Sheev Palpatine yelling like, I am the Senate, <laughs> before just exploding. And that, of course, brightened my day as I was reading it. So, you've got the Raven Guard coming in. Uh, Raven Guard don't like to stay in the same place for too long, so after they've put down any of the few subsequent, you know, insurrections and whatnot. They are off to greener pastures to conquer, and the Imperial Army moves in. Uh, the Raven Guard it said their compliance records, they don't really indicate any serious resistance. Again, they conquer it in like 12 hours or less. Uh, there's no big Xenos influence or other wacky warp phenomena. They do mention, though, there are plenty of malcontents and holdouts. They seem to be primarily religiously motivated. Uh, something like these uh, religious sects that have been like extremist groups and they are long suppressed by the Istvaniums themselves. But these are the last kind of little pockets of resistance on the planet for the Raven Guard rollout. So the Imperial Administratum and whatnot move in as a whole and this coral city gets rebuilt more or less from the ground up. Um, the Mechanicum rolls in, the Imperial Army Pioneer Corps rolls in, they build an entire new uh, bunker and barracks complex to hold their new imperial garrison. Uh, the Presenter's Palace is the largest you know, fortified position they have there. That's rebuilt as an imperial castrum fortress and to house the new imperial seat of government. You've got a brand new star pill, uh, starport built for orbital traffic. Uh, you've got their orbital defenses were apparently particularly sad. Uh, they were built up to new imperial standards. So with all of that and a new starport, you have all these imperial goods and technologies flowing in, all sorts of uh, you know, new cosmopolitan business going on. So it sounds all well and good. Uh, they even install a new governor, 
And because this was a forceful compliance, they want to install a guy, uh, an off-worlder, instead of a local. And uh, this guy is goes by the name of Vardis Prawl. He is formerly a major in the 9th Lastron Rifles. Excuse me, the 11th Lastron Rifles, because, you know, occasionally Roman numerals can be kind of difficult. Uh, <clears throat> he is a career politician out of the Ultima Segmentum. He apparently retired from his military career years ago and now has taken up being a politician in this subsector. So, bad news, though. As soon as they insert this brand new guy, the uh, conditions in the warp grow pretty rough, uh, almost from the point of the Raven Guard making this planet uh, hard compliance. Uh, it gets pretty hard to reach them via astrotelepathy or even navigation. So all of the reports that the Imperium of the Whole are getting, they're like fourth, fifth, even sixth hands from expeditionary fleets and rogue traders coming back. And uh, the news after just a little while is not great. Uh, they talk about riots, their uprisings, imperial iterators and politicians are being killed. Apparently there's this uh, unexplained mass hysteria going on. And it's all being blamed on a backlash from natives, holdouts, uh, attempting to kind of dismantle the local government. And these uh, religious sects that have been suppressed, their names keep popping up. Uh, one that does uh, with alarming regularity are what are called war singers have been uh, billed as the most dangerous sect causing problems down there. Now, uh, even worse, uh, Vardis Prawl, knowing all of these uh, extremist religious sects are starting to rise up and cause problems, uh, he orders his garrison to start tearing down temples and to breach and destroy religious sites uh, in what's called the Siren Hold, talk a little bit more about that later uh that turns i just want to be- put something in there oh, yeah. we all know that destroying sacred relics is the best way to calm any religious zealots right all right that's always worked that's out really, pretty well like, historically yeah that's like my legion's thing okay continue i just bad idea oh, no worries so uh <clears throat> And this is about the last uh, report anybody in the the Imperium gets, uh, because as soon as they get these communiques that Vardis Prawl is on the warpath for, uh, you know, religious sites and relics, these warp storms get pretty terrible and more or less in communication with the system entirely, which is not a great place to be far out on the galactic fringe there. So it's six years that's just a blank zone, uh, nothing heard from the Istvan system. And a Death Guard fleet uh, flung way out near this planet called, uh, appropriately enough, Neogeddon. Uh, it's uh, pretty much on the very edge of explored space. They catch the first faint uh, astropathic echo of anything that's been heard from Istvan in three, six years now. So it's pretty garbled, but the uh, main message is said to come through clear is that Isfahan is an open religious revolt. Uh, the imperial government itself is more or less completely uh, collapsed, and Vardis Prawl, the guy they've installed, is now a mutant or a traitor, question mark, or maybe both, and he is openly leading the revolt and murdering non-believers. And this is a big deal. Uh, this guy was put into place by, like, the Emperor's Edict himself. So the Imperium's not going to stand for this bullshit. 
And this is something uh, that is passed on to Horus himself to take care of this. Now, Horus, wily asshole that he is, uh, sees a pretty good opportunity here. Uh, He's been amassing forces loyal to him for a little while now. He's got this idea going uh, for the heresy far, far in advance of when it actually kicks off, of course. Uh, He's pretty wily, so he's not going to go into this half-cock. And his plan here is the four legions he knows that are absolutely going to come with him, that are 100%, without a doubt, going to follow him into this path of rebellion, are, of course, his own, the Sons of Horus. But then you've already got the uh, Emperor's Children, the World Eaters, and the Death Guard. The problem here is even though he knows Fulgrim, Angron and Mortarian will follow him. He knows there are probably plenty of loyalty, questionable uh, elements within the large legions themselves. These are all pretty big legions. Uh, Emperor's children, a little bit smaller, but still large enough that this can be a problem. Uh, A lot of those are Terran marines. Uh, These marines have been around since before the Primarchs have come back and recruited off uh, from Holy Terra itself their loyalty is probably always going to be to the Emperor over their new Primarch. They've known the Emperor since birth. The Primarch has come back and has essentially been like, you know, stepdad to them. Whereas some of like the native Camosians from the Emperor's children or the native Barbarusians uh, come back with uh, Fulgrim or Mortarian respectively, they'll follow their Primarch regardless of what the Emperor says. So, this is Horus's plan to go to this little far-flung, out-of-the-way place at the edge of the galaxy and shuck off all of these uh, loyalist elements. So, uh, at the same time as he's heading out to uh, quote-unquote quell this insurrection that's uh, apparently going to take the majority of four separate legions... Uh, he's also commanding Lionel Johnson, uh, Gulliman, and Sanguinius to muster and move out to, uh, let's see, Sanguinius he sent off to the Cygnus Cluster, and the Lion he sends off to Viridian, uh, while Gulliman, I believe at this time, is worried about that Kalf muster. So the Night Lords, the Raven Guard, the Iron Warriors, the Salamanders, and the Iron Hands, and the Alpha Legion are all kind of meaningfully engaged at the moment. And little known to pretty much everybody else except the Emperor and the few bros involved in it, uh, the Space Wolves and Thousand Suns are already kind of kicking the crap out of each other. Uh, now, the only two legions that Horus is a little shaky on are the White Scars and the Imperial Fists. Huge parts of their legions are actually deployed on operation in the Soul System, so he's a little shaky about trying to contact them without raising suspicion. So those are on the back burner at the moment. Uh, what's entertaining, though, uh, Fulgrim, diva that he is, kind of shows up late to the party. So the contingent of the Third Legion that shows up to Isvan Three is actually led by Eidlon instead. But um, you've got Eidlon showing up, you've got Horus, Angron, and Mortarion. And uh, this is said to comprise over 200,000 Marines, along with uh, Titans from Mortis, Audax, and the Volpa Legios which uh, 
Yeah, and I think it's cool that uh, you see Audax this early on in the heresy. They're already getting uh, stuff done for the War Master. Can you go over a quick... What what else has Audax done? Is is if I've I have no idea who they are. Where where else were they presented? So Audax is one of my favorite Titan Legions. They're also known as the Ember Wolves. They're a legion made up primarily of the Warhound class Scout Titans, and um, I have one time heard them referred to as that that Legion ADB thought up for Betrayer. Right. That's that's what's going to be my next leading question. Was like, if I wanted to read a book about this leg- legio, where where would I go? Well, uh, they actually show up here on uh, Istvan three, and again, they do show up in Betrayer. But uh, even on into uh, Master of Mankind, there are a couple of uh, warhounds from Legio Audax that yank down the gates to the Impossible City. That is correct. Yeah. And in fact, I think in uh, Master of Mankind, they lose their last uh, uh, Warhound there. Yeah, it is a... Uh, but it's for a great cause. I completely a sad day. There. Yeah. So, so Jason, I, um, man, I, I love this section because, you know, you listen to novels like Flight of the Eisenstein or Galaxy in Flames, which... I think most people who, um, you know, are in love with the Horus Heresy and have, have gotten that far, at least in the reading, they're, you know, they're within the first few um, Black Library books. And what, what, to me, reading this, and we're, for those of you guys who want to follow along from home, um, we're in book one of, of uh, the Black Books, Betrayal, um, starts on page 38. But what I love about reading this is it, it's like reading from a textbook you get all the background, right? So the fact that the blood angels are being sent to Cygnus and, you know, the, uh, the, the, you know, Horace's sort of machinations from the very beginning, all that background. Um, it just, it really, it really sets the, the, the backdrop of, of the heresy in a way that, you know, I, I never fully appreciated just listening to the different black library, um, novels and, um, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get into it, man. We're gonna fucking touch on a lot of things, but you know the fact that the war singers are now, you know, they're they're coming out, and um, you guys have definitely heard about them before, and we'll talk about that later because they're just super interesting um, in terms of what are they, right? Are they are they warp creatures? Are they are they chaos cultists? Are they even you know are they even really um, agents of chaos, right? Like the warp singers are just super, um, I think unique in the lore. That is a good question. They don't seem to be inherently like chaotic. They're psychers, but you know, they don't seem any more inherently chaotic than, you know, any other psyker. Yeah. And, and you go back and you look at some of the technology, and uh, they describe it as sort of old relics and uh, relics of, of, you know, um, you know, the age of strife and, and uh, you know, dark age of humanity. And um, my theory is that they are, they're latent psychers that are not latent, they're fully manifested, but they're, they're part of humanity's uh, like psychic, I guess, um, you know, genesis and, and progression and that they just, they get concentrated in these religious cults 
and uh, you know, they sort of go underground. And now that, um, you know, now that the Imperium of Man has sort of, it's just like a lot of the other sort of plot lines, right? And in, in Colchis and, uh, and Chthonia, right? You've got these old sort of religions that are repressed by um, the Imperium of Man and the Imperial Truth. And they're coming in with a with a pretty heavy hand, you know, that, that essentially the imperial truth is going to take over, and that eventually they just sort of revolt and go into, uh, you know, open rebellion against um, the imperium. But man, there's just so much goodness in this that we we haven't even really touched on yet. And I know you want to get to um, the the person whose testimony informs essentially all of this uh, uh, part of, of uh, the death of Istvan that we're talking about here. So there's a very important character, Jason. I don't know if you wanted to get into it yet, if we're there yet, or uh, if you want to keep going on the, uh, the, the backstory. Well, let's see. Let's, uh, let's keep that little bit under wraps till uh, a little farther in here. Cause I do like that. Uh, like you said, this is laid out exactly like a textbook, but all through, you know, every few pages, you have a little excerpt from the uh, testimony of a pretty prominent uh, death guard. Which yeah, this, yeah, this 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 guy is just so cool, and 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 uh, I mean, I love it because it's a different side of the story. Like we we're pretty familiar with Garbio Loken. Um, you know, he's a huge character. Uh, Dan Abnett, Graham McNeil, you know, they both carry them, carry him through their, their novels. And he's a pretty important character in the plot line. But what I think, you know, the genius of Alan Bly here and the genius of what the Forge World Black Books do is it, it gives you a different perspective. And the testimony of, of the Death Guard officer that we're going to get into um man is it it's fucking graphic and it's uh it just it paints the picture on what the you know the what the istvan tragedy really was and in a way that it's just you know it's first person testimony and it's it's awesome it's uh it's a good dichotomy too. Like we're reading through this and it sounds like a textbook, like, well, there were 200,000 Marines deployed and it was just the death guard that landed any significant armor support. And then you have these little excerpts saying like, yeah, I, uh, I saw what happened. I saw a guy set on fire, like five feet from me. It wasn't great. Guys, I just want to say, it feels like you're honey dicking us right now. Like, uh, we <laughs> really got to get into this because, what is happening? All right. Well, let's uh, let's push on then into the uh, this little uh, micro chapter is called onslaught. So uh, the plan here, Horace has got everybody set up, and he uses the same excuse as before. This is a highly industrialized, super valuable planet. Uh, even though it's an open rebellion, he wants everything to stay as intact as possible. So this is the excuse he uses for launching a massive ground assault to retake the Coral City. So what he does is he loads up uh, tons of drop pods. You know, the Marines are all about these lightning shock assaults. Uh, Horus l- 
loads all of those drop pods up. Like I was saying a little bit earlier, only the Death Guard really have any uh, armor support. But uh, there are four separate targets in this drop assault, and they're essentially uh, categorized by the legions going after them. Uh, the Emperor's children are focused on the Presenter's Palace that we were talking about earlier, uh, because they find that's the most likely location of Vardis Prawl, and they want to be able to cut the head off the top of that serpent. Uh, the World Eaters are actually going to drop on the plazas and the complexes in, adjoining the palace, and these are what kind of form they refer to it as the arterial intersection of the city's transport networks. So if you get a whole bunch of world leaders all up in the transport networks, that's that's not going to go well for anybody. That's, that's Trains are going to be delayed. Traffic's going to be horrible. It's not going to go great. Then you've got the Death Guard. Uh, they're tasked with assaulting the Western fortifications. All of those brand new bunkers and bastions and those trench work complexes that the Imperium built six years ago, that's what the Death Guard have to knock apart. And they're supposed to storm those and annihilate any of those traitor garrison forces that are still stuck in there. And um, the Sons of Horus themselves are targeted at what's said to be the most important out of all of these, uh, the Siren Hole. And this is where Vardis Prawl kind of made that pretty big mistake where he started uh, kicking indoors, uh, you know, lighting books on fire, uh, knocking out religious complexes, tearing down temples and shrines. Um, um, they have these conical shrine towers that raise like hundreds of meters in the air, uh, paints a very distinct picture there. Um, They've got these tomb spires. They've got dozens and dozens of shrines and temples. And since this uprising is largely, uh, you know, a religious focus, um, they're assuming this is where plenty of these wacky war singers are going to be. And that's their primary target. Uh, the Sons of Horus are supposed to drop on it and exterminate anything that moves. And if you guys want to check out Betrayal, uh, page 42 and 43 has a gorgeous uh, orbital map of the initial landing sites for the uh, assault. It's really cool to see like the entire Coral City layered out there and have all the Legion icons of where everything's fallen. So, yeah, so that, that's Betrayal. Mm-hmm. That is the one. All right. Again, yeah, like, like, once again, I feel like I'm listening to the podcast instead of on it. So I'm like, actually, right now, I'm I'm getting on a Dropbox and I'm looking for our documents, and I'm like, all right, where's this book at? We gotta find it. That's perfect, Will, because I mean, I think that's exactly the intent that Jason and I are going for. You know, fucking crack your black book up at home. You know, flip to the page and follow along with us. And I'll follow along, man. Yeah. 40, 42 and 43, uh, the the full-page spread, um, man, it's, it's like satellite imagery, and it's like, it's it's good. It's the same kind of satellite imagery that, you know, I've, I've seen when, you know, I do different operations, and that's the quality you're getting from, from Forge World is, you know, it it's it's well done. It's well-researched. It's well, um, it's well laid out, and you know, you look at this and from a military standpoint, right, this is like you're getting, these are the operational graphics that you're getting with uh, mortise drop sites and, and death guard drop sites. And then um, 
the different target objectives. It's fucking solid, man. Yeah, I would have to agree. That's one of my favorite parts about the black books is I feel like you're reading either an op order or a debrief, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. So, first off, uh, checking out what the Death Guard are doing. Uh, they're facing heavy resistance right off the bat, trying to conquer these bunkers and trench work complexes. Uh, they're fighting plenty of you know, former garrison forces, but they're actually described as insane and mutilated. Um, they're uh, working with pilfered Imperial weapons, but they're still using all of these brand new trench and bunker complexes. So the Death Guard are dealing with like overlapping fields of fire from these trench works, uh, deep set mortar batteries. Uh, Malkadors and Basilisks are coming in from underground bunkers that have been built specifically to resist these types of attacks. But uh, Mortarian is not having any of it. He drops uh, all of his Death Guard straight inside of the Cordon of Fire to try and short-range all of their artillery to come in underneath it. And the Death Guard do what they do best and storm those trenches. They start landing uh, Vindicators and Land Raiders. And this is actually, too, where Legio Mortis is. Um, yeah! Yeah, it's exciting stuff for any uh, fans of big Titan Legios. Uh, Legio Mortis is, of course, the uh, big bad of the triad, Ferrum Morgulis. Then uh, sidling all over to the presenter's palace outside, the world leaders drop first, and they spread out and kill anything that moves, as the world leaders are apt to do. Uh, right next to them, the emperor's children are dropping on the palace itself, and the palace is the most fortified place on more or less the entire planet. And the emperor's children uh, give credit where it's due, they drop perfectly on top of the palace. Now, this is something I want to talk about real quick. I've heard people complain that they don't like how inaccurate drop pods are in the game because it's said in their description, you know, they're fired from the battle barge or whatnot with pinpoint accuracy. And I've heard people say like, oh, pinpoint accuracy, they can still scatter 12 inches. And I always think to myself like, come on, dude, you're firing a... You know, let's say a uh, house-sized metal shed pod full of super-armored, you know, space marines from orbit at, you know, if you can hit a place the size of, like, a city block, that is pinpoint. And this is what the Emperor's children are doing. They drop straight in the middle of the palace, uh, bypassing all of these defenses, and... Uh, they land into different uh, these entranceways and these admission halls and get straight into the heart of the palace. They also start landing uh, dreadnoughts and uh, melt-a-cutter teams on top of the palace itself to start burning new entrances into the uh, armor dome on top of it. And then over on the bottom end, we could talk about the Sons of Horus. Uh, they're falling in on the Siren Hold. Now, these conical tomb spires we were talking about, they're like these huge structures, almost like um, miniature hives, almost. 
but they are constructed as essentially vertical burial grounds. And they rise hundreds of meters in the air, and they're surrounded by labyrinths of like shrines, temples, mausoleums, uh, everything. They're like very super compacted graveyards. So, and these are causing sorry, a. Professor, to interrupt, but um, oh, the circles ahead. that we see on the map here for the Siren Hold, are we mm-hmm. assume those are the towers? That's a good question. I would yeah, have well, that's such, right? Like they, they look yeah. like they're rising up higher than they're even casting shadows on the surrounding cities and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, they are. That is pretty neat. Like oh, yeah, the amount of detail Forge will put in to put shadows casting of these massive, you know, structures is amazing. But uh, okay, so we got it. There's a bunch of these crazy things. All right. Oh yeah. And these things are causing huge problems. They're uh, getting in the way of drop pod landing vectors. Uh, They're knocking drop pods out of the air. It's a huge pain in the ass. And on top of that, this is where the um, main sect of the Warsingers are kind of piled up. Now, these guys are psychers that have learned to use sonic energy to both attack and defend themselves. Uh, They can use it to create kind of bubble shields around them and... They can use it to attack uh, strong enough to shatter ceramite armor and actually rupture uh, space marine-like internal organs, which is no small feat. But besides that, too, they can also use it to drive the uh, cult warriors they've got surrounding themselves to these like fanatical levels of devotion. They're throwing themselves at space marines heedless of like bolt guns and giant transhuman warriors. And this is where, when the Sons of Horus make fall here, this is where something pretty crazy happens. Uh, it's described as a great pain of sound engulfing the Coral City itself, loud enough to drown out the battle. Just this huge wave of sound that's almost enough to deafen a space marine, even inside of his armor. And it's this... Described as the unnatural song that drives the Istvanians to these shuddering paroxysms of uncontrolled hatred. And even the civilians of Istvan start throwing themselves at the space marines. And uh, this is like, there's just so many hundreds and thousands of them. They actually begin to push back uh, the world eaters that are outside of the presenter's palace. Uh, to the point where they're running weapon magazines completely dry, attempting to cut swaths down in these unrushing, you know, tides of even unarmored civilians. So in the Siren Hold itself, uh, it's described the fight going meter by meter. Uh, they're, the Sons of Horus are bringing down these war singers, but they're definitely uh, taking out plenty of things themselves. It's definitely at cost. And also they're starting to run into these surgically modified uh, veteran garrison troopers. And they are surgically grafted with this black vitrified armor carapace. And they're wielding um, ancient relic weapons that use uh, sound or uh, liquid metal darts that are causing a lot of problems. Uh, this is where they specifically mention Garvio Logan fighting uh, his way into the bottom complex of one of these tomb spires and 
inside of it, he finds a coven of these war singers, which they, you know, set about killing in this corpse filled shrine that is larger than any they've come across so far. Now, at the same time, in the presenter's phallus, you've got the Emperor's Children's Strike Force. They've managed to beat their door down into the throne room. Uh, these guys are actually under command of Lucius, uh, the captain. And he confronts Vardis Prawl himself, who's almost like a upgun version of these veterans that the Sons of Horus are running into. Uh, he's clad in Baroque armor, and he's wielding uh, what's said to be psychosonic weaponry. So Lucius manages to kill him, and regardless of whether it is Loken finding and destroying this shrine, or Lucius killing off Prawl, uh, it breaks this sort of cacophony of sound that's held over the Coral City. And after that breaks, the rebellion itself more or less falls apart. Uh, it's said to be uh, just knocked apart. It's in tatters and more or less round up within hours. So, this was a pretty hard-fought deal. Nobody on the ground is having fun, but this is only the first half of Horus's plan. Now, after the start of this cacophony that's been over the entire city until just recently, uh, communication is said to be lost with the orbital fleet. A little odder still, you have Legio Mortis. Uh, it begins pulling back into the empty plains beyond the city walls. They just drop everything, don't communicate with anybody, start retreating out into the uh, wastelands there. And uh, worse yet, you have eight different capital ships, uh, both battle barges and Gloriana-class battleships, of which, of course, the Vengeful Spirit is one. That they drop into low orbit and start saturation bombing. And when they do this, uh, they're not just firing any bombs. They are using the Life Eater virus. And this is nasty business. Uh, the Life Eater virus, there are only two people in the entire universe that can authorize this. Uh, Warmaster Horus or the Emperor himself. And we all know the Emperor is shacked up back home in the Golden Throne. So the War Master lets this business go. Uh, it's described as a necrophage toxin. And the way it works, it, um, it kills literally every living thing on the planet. Uh, it works in two stages. First off, it causes a hyperactive, like, decay rot cycle, which will more or less instantly liquefy anything it comes into contact with. Uh, the scale of which it's killing things off on the planet is so massive, it can actually be seen from orbit. And after it does this, just the amount of... The amount of chemical reaction that this causes from organic decay releases huge amounts of flammable gases into the atmosphere. And, I mean, the science on this, as far as it goes, kind of checks out if you squint at it a little bit. But um, what happens is after this necrophage toxin liquefies everything it can get its hands on, 
the vengeful spirit fires a single lance strike into the coral city, which causes a massive, and it's essentially a explosion on a planet wide scale. It's a firestorm that sweeps the planet across the entire surface, uh, driving before it a tenebrous hurricane of burning air and overpressure, which scattered debris before it uh, with a pulse of heat turning everything in its wake to cinder and ash. And besides this, if a planet-wide firestorm isn't enough, the overpressure uh, causes hurricanes and continent-spanning storms that are probably going to last for years. Uh, small upside to this, uh, thanks to, of course, if you've read through Flight of the Eisenstein, uh, Saul Tarvitz, Garvey Loken, and whatnot, Horace's plan is not quite as effective as he wants it to be. Uh, there are some Marines that are underground in bunker complexes, uh, in the Siren Hold, a few other places that manage to stave off the necrophage toxin that's eating literally everything else alive. And uh, like Dave and I were talking about earlier, uh, there are a lot of excerpts from... Uh, a death guard known as Crisis Morturg that uh, he's given his account once he uh, survived Ispan and came back. Uh, his excerpts are kind of sprinkled in here in between the textbook parts. And I wanted to uh, kind of wrap up by reading this last one on page 47 that I think gives a great depiction of exactly how uh, how rough it was on the surface. So, from the testimony of Chrysos Morturg, I saw it, the life-eater, looked into its dark soul and knew it for what it was. When the word had come, I hadn't believed, not truly, the treachery, too much to comprehend. But we Death Guard were made to endure and to survive, no matter what, and so we acted, even though most of us didn't believe, not until the bombs fell. We were too far from the bunkers, and so I got my squad inside a cargo cell, and we fused it shut from the inside for whatever extra protection that would give. The armor wasn't always enough, I knew. Not even Maximus battle plate, not always. Even locked shut and on internal air. In sufficient concentration, the virus can eat through suit seals, visor ports even, and if you've taken so much as a microfracture in the wrong spot, well, you understand. The bombs fell, and the cargo cell shook, and we waited in the dark silent, conserving our oxygen. For a few moments after, there was hammering outside, but that soon stopped. Then Jubal screamed over the squad vox. Not a scream you might hear a man die in battle, but choked and cut off like a man drowning. I turned, I saw him through my auto senses. He'd already managed to claw his helmet halfway off, and nothing but black grease and bone tumbled out. It was like his armor had been filled with rot, not a man. He was dead and fleshless, but... Somehow his armor still moved. Perhaps it was it was the armor responding to his last nerve impulses. Perhaps not. I triggered my flamer there and burned him. Better risk of using it even as packed in as we were than the alternative. Yes, I saw it, the life-eater, a monster of the old times, human evil given form. Then, I believed. Oh my god, dude. Heavy stuff. Like... <laughs> Like I, I, I got chills and shit from just hearing that. Like, that is wicked, man. 
right? Being in such a situation where you would the flamer. Let's let's like Tarantino this, like the flamer, like that already is going to kill you in close quarters. But you'd much rather use that than the virus bomb. Mm-hmm. Get you, you know, inside a packed cargo container like that. I mean, yeah. even in armor, it's not going to be pleasant. Oh my god, dude, that's like. Amazing. I don't know what else to say. I don't. I don't know how else to describe that other than just amazing. Like the writing of this. I hope we continue to see stuff like this with Alan's passing. I really do because this is what makes the horse heresy so grim dark. Well, that is definitely why I wanted to end with it. I think it's one of the most uh, powerful ones of these little excerpts. Uh, until we get a little farther in, there's uh, another pretty amazing one but uh dave you got anything else for us yeah i mean i'll just keep it real short because i mean like awesome and uh really wanted to end on that uh the crisis mortorg what i want to do with uh with heresy grad school is I, i know it's a really popular segment in our in our podcast and i know a lot of people who maybe don't have a lot of time just want to tune in for that so um, we'll post in the show notes and um, we'll make sure that you guys can just jump on whenever, uh, you know, whenever heresy grad school starts and you can just jump on and, and follow along. This is the man, this is, I think the sixth or seventh time we've done this. So we actually started back in uh, the very first episode with tooth and claw. We've gone through some of the, the forge, uh, the forge worlds. Um, and, uh, and now we're here, it's evolved a lot. And I think where we're going now is I'm going to put some, um, just like Will mentioned before, you know, some suggestions for further reading. So if you're, if you're into it, um, like we are, and you want to get a little deeper in, uh, there's some backstory on crisis Mortorg in a short story called Black Shields. And he will uh, be back in the next Heresy Grad School. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's not gone yet, man. He actually shows up in a couple different places. He actually shows up in Book 6. So he is is a badass. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Um, We'll uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Thanks, Jason. Real quick, before we wrap it up. I just want to say, like, I am more invested in this Istvan 3 than I was after reading the first three books. Like, just hearing this introduction as an Istvan 3 has just, like, I'm thinking army ideas now. Like, that's where I'm at the point of, where I'm like, if I was going to build an Istvan 3 Shattered Legion list, how would I do it? That's where I am. Well, first of all, you bring Karsus Morturg. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? I'd make him a Praetor and just be like, this dude is amazing, let's go. He, he, well, he has rules, he's in the book. Oh shit, is he? Oh my yeah. god. Uh, book six. Section, all right, uh, yeah, that's right, David just said that, and I've already, yeah. Well I, all think, right. well, I thought his rules were introduced in book one, Section Leader Crisis Mortar. They are, they are, and if you, if you read his description, he is the very first time we see Black Shield mentioned. Without ever any description of what a black shield is in Crisis Mortorg's um, title line, it says black shield, right? Like that's fucking so. F- that's how far into the future Alan Bly and the Forge World Design team were looking. 
I guess He's definitely that. like five year plan, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man, this is amazing. Like I, I I'm so ready for next week's episode already. All right. Well, uh, next week on Heresy Grad School, we'll be talking about part two of the Islam Three atrocity and some of those loyalist Marines uh, digging themselves out from under the rubble, seeing what's going on, and uh, Angron deciding to uh, sort that shit out himself because Horace didn't get it done fast enough. Hmm. Yeah, there's one thing to be said for Angron. He is not what you might call patient. No. All right. Well, we're looking at a extra chunky episode, so yeah. We're sorry, guys. Take a break. I mean, no, it's come all fine. On. This we're this has been Istvan three. We're this needs to be a little chunky. Sure. I mean, we're we're talking extra. The thing that's it, this is what started it all. <laughs> yes. This is what got the ball rolling. You can't have the horse heresy without Istvan three. Nope. This is true. But with that being said, we'll uh, go again with heresy grad school next week. We're going to take a quick break, come back with some trivia, some final closing statements, and uh, farewells. Be right back. And we're back for the last segment of the Remembrances Retreat today. Um, Stephen, we have some uh, trivia to talk about? We do. We do. Um, now... The first thing that I will have to say is uh, is announce. Well, actually, I'll do it later. Never mind. Haha. The question that I posed, I'm going to call it last week, but in reality, it was probably about a month ago by now. Uh, was what was the first Gloriana battleship to be constructed? What's the oldest Gloriana battleship? Uh, and the answer to that came out of uh, book three. It is the Iron Warriors battleship and flagship, the Iron Blood, uh, flagship of Primarch Protorabo himself. Yay! Yeah, and the prize that was up for grabs for that one was a Majos Dominus. The winner of this particular uh, question was Mike DeBolt. Yay! Oh, solid. Congratulations, Mike. Nice job, man. Yep, he he beat out Zach by like ten minutes. It was literally ten minutes. We we had to go back and keep looking at like, yeah, screen. So fun fact: the uh, Facebook mobile site and Facebook desktop site uh, don't timestamp the same. So I was looking at it, thinking like, oh man, Zach beat Zach beat a. Uh, Mike out by like what had to have been a couple minutes and and Jesse and Will were on the other end going, no, no, Mike got it in first. So congratulations, Mike. You win a Majors Dominus to go with the Mechanicum army that you sold not a month ago. (laughs) Congratulations. Um, Should it please you, you may petition for a different prize of equal or lesser value. Uh, Now, for this week's question, though, and this week has a time limit. If you want to win the prize, you have to answer the question correctly within one week, seven days until the next episode. From the day that this episode gets gets posted, you have ring, until ring ring seven days seven from that. Days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a reason for this because the prize this time uh, I am have a. Do y'all like free stuff, Will Jesse? Y'all like free stuff, right? 
Yeah. I hate it's free cool stuff. stuff. I love paying quadruple what stuff is actually worth, Stephen. That's odd. I don't believe you. <laughs> uh, but, so, through a way uh, that we're not going to discuss, I, uh, I happen to have a Spartan. Who wants a free Spartan? What? what? Are you serious? <laughs> right. So this is this is such bullshit that we, as hosts, cannot enter these competitions. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> you're the one who made up the rule! You're the one who literally looked at me in the face and was like, I don't think as hosts we should enter these competitions. That's literally what you said to yeah. me. Well, I played, I have kept this one pretty close to the chest, um, so... Uh, uh, hmm, I don't know. I'll have to think about this. Let's do it, man. Let's hear about it. What's up? What's up? All right. What is this? So, like I said, I have a I have a Spartan. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to use it, uh, and I don't really feel like selling it. So, I'm going to give it away. Holy shit! <laughs> so, seven days. Again, you have seven days to answer correctly. And in order to qualify, you not only have to a answer correctly, but b you have to provide the book and the page number that you got your answer from. And the answer, or rather the question, is this. Oh, where'd it go? I've, I lost it. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Everybody right. gets a free Spartan. <laughs> All righty. What Spartan of the Raven Guard was lost at the Dropsite Massacre, later to be salvaged and then deployed by the Night Lords? Ooh. Oh, yep. dude. Like, for a machine spirit to turn like that? Like, what a this fucking goes, betrayal. Uh, yeah, this comes out of the list of questions on my heresy trivia page labeled, How on Earth Did You Know That? <laughs> Steven, can you, can you give us that question one more time? Sure. What Spartan of the Raven Guard was lost at the Dropsite Massacre, later to be salvaged and deployed by the Night Lords? Damn, dude, that's fucking perfect for what we just talked about. Yep. Yeah, everyone's all up in arms about this one. Granted, this is from the this is from Big Istvan, not Little Istvan. Not yeah. <laughs> but wow. So, all right, guys, seven days. There you have it. There's a free Spartan up for grabs. Hey, this I'd like to. The, this is going to be on the Facebook page on the Remembrance, Remembrancers Retreat Facebook page. Question. You got to reply on that post with. The answer, book and page number, correct? That is correct. Can we, uh, can we, ex so also what I'd like to do, um, if you are willing to, Stephen, is if somebody wants to record a voice message with the same um, details and send it to um, the page as a, I, guess, I think you can do that, right? It's like a voice message. Um, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure on what myself. I'm but, not 100% uh, as far as uh, sending it to the page, but you can send it to the email. That's true. And as long as that email is then time-stamped, I, I think if it's okay with Steven, we can count that. The big thing um, is time-stamping to see if we can verify, like, all right, this one came in at 345, the other one came in at 347. You know what I mean? Uh, I can I can look at my... I mean, we the it's a Gmail account, so I can open mine real quick and just verify the things that I have are timestamped. Uh, Terrace Jones, a few details. Should be. I would just love to. I, have, I would I love dates, to play. I don't see like times. 
dates but no times. <laughs> dates but no times in your oh, email. Oh, nope, there it is. Nope, I got it. Yep, it is, it does automatically timestamp it. Yeah, that's what of course I it would. Why wouldn't it? This is 2018. <laughs> yeah, we're living in the future, Stephen. We've been living in the future. But yeah, I think that's fine, David. If people want to do that, I know I, as a co-host, will obviously be like, yeah, sure, that's good. And I'll back up anybody who sends in a voice-recorded message of their answer. If they send it to the rva30k at gmail.com. Well, there you go. Have a fucking chance to win a Spartan and have your crazy theory heard on... Yeah. The retreat. Yeah, not only not only will you win a spark, but you, the world will know you for the meticulous, obsessive, compulsive nerd that you are. Not only that, you also got to completely bypass Facebook. Which congratulations <laughs> on you. Yeah, yeah. You okay. didn't have to log into Facebook, so GG, you win. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty the, even the. It's even more impressive when you consider the level of effort that's going into it. Way to Facebook. Though I do, man. David's got me thinking about a crazy theory idea. Just like, I would love to hear people send messages to the RVA 30K or, you know, type them. And just like, something that can be read in like two or three minutes and just spark a conversation about a crazy-ass theory. Like, yeah, we definitely need to set up a mailbag. Listeners, if you want to hear a mailbag, uh, give us a hashtag mailbag now, assholes, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll work something out. (laughs) Sounds good. Nice. All right. And with that being said, final statements, final plugs? Uh, Lancaster Painting at... Well, no, it's not at anything. It's just Lancaster Painting. So if you want to see that, I got the more dates, and I'll be putting uh, professional photos up. Well, quote professional. But yeah, there you go. That's all I got. Nice. Dave? Yeah, I just want to give a shout-out to my my good friends and long, long-time gaming buddies. Um Jamie and Jason that fucking helped me move a giant display case into my house at eight o'clock at night on a Tuesday with like two hours notice. Um, like I literally fucking called them from the U-Haul, um, in Petersburg, Virginia, as I'm driving home with a giant display case, glass and hardwood, you know, Oak display case that Brian helped me load. And I was like, dudes, I think I'm going to need more than just me to get this into my house. And, uh, and you know, they answered the call and these are dudes that like, I've literally known for 10 years. We played games together back in the day in Williamsburg, um, 40 K like fifth and sixth edition. They all have families now. And, you know, we're all fucking old and, uh, you know, we don't meet as much as we used to, to play games, but that's how deep the, that that's how much the gaming community means to me is, is, you know, these guys and, you know, they're my friends and if I need them, they still, uh, you know, they still come through. So thank you, Jamie and Jason for being there and, uh, fucking come over and have a beer and we can hang out and have a game sometime soon. Yeah. Proxy love. Remember to retreat loves you as much as David. does. <laughs> Steven. Ah, ah, I forget which button was was which. Um, <laughs> let's see. What am I? What am I plugging? Uh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to say the store that uh, I went to while I was out on a job. 
out in Western Virginia. It's called uh, Your Hobby Place. Uh, it was a really nice, good, expansive store, roughly about the size of Battlegrounds, um, out in um, Winchester, West Virginia, uh, that had a nice, pretty cool selection. And like any local-owned store, it had a lot of cool, old, kind of out-of-print stuff. Uh, there was a, per, per, it looked professionally painted, uh, Arbites Warband sitting in the glass case, like fully painted, old school, like Judge Dredd looking space police. It was pretty cool. And uh, the owner was a great guy. He actually got me out of print Battlefleet Gothic books that I had been looking for. Um, but the nice thing about it is that I also discovered they have a Fredericksburg location. They are not simply relegated to the mountainous wilds that is West Virginia. So, your hobby place. If you are a Fredericksburg listener, or if you just want to take up, take a day trip up to Fredericksburg, it's there. Check it out. Very cool. All right. I also want to reiterate um, Ryan Bridges' uh, call to action for this Toys for Tot army that he'll be painting and will be going up for charity after Christmas. Um, so, a little blurb is here. It's... um. Radio Free Istvan sponsored Toys for Tot Sons of Horse Army. Uh, he's currently working on it, but they do need some of the following. They could use some cash to help purchase items and things for the army. He's looking for two Land Raider Phobos or GW Land Raider kits, which I thought the Phobos were Land Raiders, so I might need some. Uh, clear, uh, uh, we, we'll go ahead and educate yeah. you. Land Raiders. Just, just give us Land Raiders here. <laughs> uh, two Anvilus Dreadclaws. One set of new in-box Just Dare and Terminators, a Leviathan Dreadnought, Dreadnought Drop Pod, two Javelin Land Speeders. If anyone is interested in donating, they can talk. They can contact Ryan Bridges through Facebook. He's on the Maryland 30K and also Richmond 30K Facebook page. Um, you can also uh, contact any of us, contact Remembrances Retreat, and uh, we'll get you squared away. And for that, along with... Uh, my own plug, I just want to thank the listeners. Like, we've been doing this for a few months now, and oh, it's been a lot of yeah. fun. Like, to be honest, like, this is the first time I've ever done a podcast in my life before. I've listened to plenty. I thought it was really fun. Um, yeah. If you guys ever have questions or thoughts or opinions, like I said, we mentioned might do a mailbag here at some point. That'd be a lot of fun. But um, thanks for listening to us ramble on about just, you know, things that we think about our little local community we uh, appreciate the listenership yeah we love you guys so thank you very much without uh, you guys listening and giving us feedback it wouldn't be fun it would probably seem like work or something like that so thank you guys yeah all right and with that this is the remembrance of retreat i'm jesse and i'm will bye later guys bye Sorry, Your voice was sultry. So, oh, sleep well tonight. You my sultry, sultry voice, son of a bitch. <laughs> well, how about every that? Someone says every time someone says that something is sultry, all I can think of is Danny DeVito's mother in Train. All I can think of is mustaches. There. That's it. Just mustaches. <laughs> that's, that's a bizarre oh, thing to think Jesus. about.